and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for Dead Alive, also known as Brain Dead, but not the Bill Pullman movie. With Bill Paxton also. Too many bills. <laughs> Too many bills. Hello, and welcome <laughs> back to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex. I'm joined, as always, by my friend, co-host, co-pilot on the ever-ending flight of the contrary, Julio Oliveira. Julio... We are here this evening to discuss a Patreon pick, and as you mentioned, that is Peter Jackson, kind of a, a B-side of Hollywood, a not-too-well-known director, uh, <laughs> making a foray, uh, foray into the horror genre in the early 90s with uh, Brain Dead, or as we know it here in the States and North America, Dead Alive. It's um, Peter Jackson's first time at bat, right? We haven't talked about Mr. Jackson previously? No, I mean... It's not like he has a, an extensive filmography, so he's just really... so like well known. He's just got such a big mm-hmm. name because he did the fucking Lord of the Rings movies, yeah, and the Hobbit movies. I mean, if you want to shame him, <laughs> if you want to praise him, you bring up Lord of the Rings. If you want to embarrass him, you bring up the Hobbit trilogy. And uh, he did the Lovely Bones, also, right? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay, that's also if you want to. It, it, you know, he goes both sides. You can bring up King Kong. You can bring up uh, Heavenly Creatures. I think Heavenly Creatures was before he was, you know, big name. But yeah, uh, I just remember the, the the Tooch Stanley Tucci was the the big um, performance from the Lovely Bones, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So Peter Jackson making his Contrarian's debut. It seems like this was an inevitable, but it was a patron selection from our friend Paul at Filmbusters, correct? That is correct. He uh, he messaged me. He asked if we had seen it. I said I haven't. I've heard of it, but I, I'm I know anything about it really. And I said I gotta get the feeling that Alex would have already brought it up if he had seen it. So then he got really excited. He's like, "Okay, do this, do this movie." And uh, I gather from that brief interaction and the the amount of uh, exclamation points and the happy emojis <laughs> that I, I think he likes it. I think he's a he's a fan of uh, Peter Jackson's early work. Now, as I've come to find out since that exchange, which was like a couple months ago, <laughs> it turns out that I wasn't entirely correct because you you have seen. Before this outing, you had seen at least part of Dead Alive. Is that right? I mean, you don't have to go into detail yet, but that's that's kind of like accurate. I guess that's that's what Correct. happened. Yes. Yeah. 
So not entirely a brand new experience for you, at least partially. And for me, yes, I had no idea about anything that was going to happen in this movie. And then, you know, there was there was one other misconception I had when I was talking to Paul. Uh, might as well get it out of the way now, which was, uh, he said, before I lock this in, check and see if uh, if it's easily available on the States, because it's kind of hard to find here in, in England. And, uh, but, you know, you guys live in the United States, so it's probably easier, because I guess he... <laughs> He has that idea of the states that I had when I lived in Peru, uh, which was that, oh, the United States, you can get anything out there. Um, that's not the case when it comes to Dead Alive, though. <laughs> and I, I made the mistake because, you know, I was talking to him like on, you know, on my phone, like, sending messages and I was I was at work. So when he asked me, I did like a quick search online for, for Dead Alive and uh, it showed up on Amazon Prime. And I didn't click on the link. I was like, oh, it's on Amazon. Okay. I'm like, easy. Worst case scenario, we were just rented from Amazon Prime. And uh, then later, after the pick was locked in and everything, I realized that, no, actually, that was that's a dead link. Like, Amazon will do that sometimes to you. You just you click on yeah. the link, and it takes you to a page where it's like, oh, this video is no longer available. Why are you listing it then? <laughs> that's, that's how people get in trouble, like I did. Because then I'm like, I'm not going to call back Paul and go like, hey, man, just kidding. <laughs> we can't find your movie. So I went down, like, you know, I started looking around online, seeing like, okay, well, what's the easiest way of getting that alive? And uh, who came to a rescue? But uh loyal listener of the show, the man behind Greener Grass, or rather, the man behind the Greener Grass request from uh, a year ago, our friend Patrick, he learned that I was uh, looking for Dead Alive, and he's like, "Oh man, I have a, I have a copy. I'll just send it to you." And so it is that I found myself with a DVD copy of, uh, of Dead Alive, and then you, you ended up because I was gonna just share it with you, but then you ended up just doing your own, your own internet sleuthing and finding a copy of your own. So anyway, it's, it's on YouTube. <laughs> the the uncut version of it is on YouTube, so it's it's obviously it's not you know HD quality or anything like that, but uh, it was available for a, a full viewing. But that's awesome. The Contrarians universe coming to save the day. That's I really like that. Yeah, much like with Paul, I got the sense that Patrick is a big fan of this movie. So <laughs> when we uh, when we were given our opinions in real talk. There'll be at least two pairs of ears that are going to be listening very, very intensely to see whether we give it the thumbs up or the thumbs down. But we don't have to worry about that yet. <laughs> How long was your your copy? You said ninety seven minutes. Ninety six minutes. Okay, mine was one hundred and four minutes. It on YouTube is titled the nineteen ninety two complete uncut version, and um, it was pretty clear to decipher which scenes were added in the the film for those were a bit more beat up and worn and not as ah. polished so uh it it didn't seem of anything of real exposition or consequences added it was just some additional you know ridiculous gore comedy or what have you so so there it is yeah it's as i was telling julio it's kind of funny that it was so hard to find considering how just uh ubiquitous it was in video stores when i was a kid i remember the cover so very well and how it was just always there 
And I never, I don't even remember looking at the back of the box. I just remember the front of it and being like, oof, this seems, uh, <laughs> this seems like something I don't want to watch. So, and then, of course, that prophecy came true, but we'll get to that here in just a moment. <laughs> so here on the contrarians what we like to do is we like to rage against the rotten tomatoes machine that's our battle cry uh and if you're a returning listener i know you've heard all this before just give us a minute here we could have some new listeners so we're just going to explain to them what it is we do here uh, we'll find a movie on rotten tomatoes that is highly rated a lot of times on is certified fresh and what we'll do is make a case for potentially why that movie's a bit overrated or some of the aspects of it that weren't that good that tend to go overlooked we'll cut it down to size is what we'll do uh, and then on alternating episodes, we'll find an episode that is lowly rated, usually about 30% and below. Those nasty green splotches known as rotten. And what we'll do is make a case for that film's positive merit. Maybe some of the things critics got wrong or some of the things that you, the viewer, the listening public should take into account and appreciate about that film. All in an effort to show that uh, Rotten Tomatoes is kind of a flawed system in the way the public interprets it. But also you can be as over the moon about something as you want to be, or you can just bury something with no regard if you really have your mindset to doing so. Uh, but that all comprises the first half of the podcast known as Contrarian's Corner. Julio, we always bring home uh, the show with how we really feel about the movie we're discussing in the second half. That's right. The aptly titled Real Talk. It's the second half of the show where we tell you exactly how we feel. We're no longer pretending to be positive or negative uh, in regards to the tomato meter score. In Real Talk, we just, we just open our hearts and we tell each other and the audience how we experience this movie for reals uh in this case alex and i haven't really talked about this movie much we we just recorded the the facebook preview but even then it was just me reading quotes and alex reading trivia and we didn't i don't think that either of us truly betrayed our feelings for dead alive post watching it so uh it'll be interesting to find out how alex feels about it I'm sure he's wondering if this movie uh, <laughs> worked for me based on my history with the horror genre. And that, uh, well, I'm sure that you, listening people, you, dear listeners, uh, you probably have an idea because we've done a fair amount of uh, horror movies on the show and we've had discussions regarding the genre. So you might have a guess as to which way either of us is leading, but that doesn't mean you're right. So you'll find out when we get to real talk. So, Julio, 88% on Rotten Tomatoes. So that means here in the first portion, we're going to be calling out, and they are plentiful, the uh, foibles of Dead Alive, Brain Dead. It even has its little certified fresh gimmick. It has the, the beautiful IP, that logo that they love to display so much. <laughs> so with that being said, and, you know, outside of that, the 88%, this is a movie beloved by the horror community. I, you know, I'm a bit more of an active member in that community than you are. So I know this movie's reputation. I knew it when I saw it for the first time and had to shut it off. I watched it because people talked about it so highly. They touted it so highly in the horror community that I was like, well, I haven't seen this, so I need to watch it. Wish I hadn't then. <laughs> but I'm getting to the point here, Julio. 88%. That means that critics love this then, now, forever, what were they saying? What have they been saying about Peter Jackson's horror comedy? Well, I have a few fresh quotes from the Rotten Tomatoes website, starting with James Shu from Film School Rejects, who says, whether you're laughing too hard or whether you're just plain disgusted, Dead Alive will have you doubled over in one way or another. That is quite the image, somebody doubled over because they're disgusted. <laughs> Have you ever been so disgusted by something that you just doubled over, Alex? 
I mean, probably. <laughs> Watching this movie? <laughs> yeah. Uh, what was the Zack Snyder Batman movie? Just stood <laughs> up after justice. it was over and just <laughs> hands on my knees, hunched over, just <laughs> disgusted. Or patting your back. Like, it's all right, man. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, Peter Rayner from Los Angeles Times says, after you see it, you want to race out of the theater and recommend it to your sickest friends right away. And that just made me think of Paul. Just racing through the Twitterverse to recommend it to us. Is that because he he thinks that we are part of his sickest friends group? I, I, that's what I don't know. I don't know if he's expecting a reaction where he's like, I can't wait for them to be grossed out by this movie. Or if he wants us to just be appreciative of the craft. I, I have no idea. <laughs> it would be weird if you did, Alex. <laughs> All right, let's bring it home with uh, Rodolfo Sanchez from Sensacine, who says, The film was capable enough to treat the zombie genre with humor as well as respect. Do you think this movie treats the zombie genre with respect? Because I think it just it makes fun of the zombie genre. I don't see much respect. I think that, it but... treats what it wants to be with respect. I don't know if that encompasses the entire genre. Yeah, I mean, I, I never felt that this was a love letter to zombie movies but you're right that it does feel like a, a love letter to itself <laughs> dear diary <laughs> today i used 500 gallons of fake blood and it was great <laughs> all right alex take us into contrarian's corner proper all right released in new zealand on august 13th of 1992 and the united states on february 12th of 1993 god imagine that time period like if you were someone in the United States that was really looking forward to it back when there was no Kazaa or you know <laughs> Kickass Torrents or something, you just had to read about it. You know, get a telegram from New Zealand, like <laughs> your your buddy telling you what it's about. Simpler times. Al Gore hadn't quite united the world the way he did with the World Wide Web. <laughs> yeah, he had yet to invent it as we know it. Uh, budget of three million dollars. So. Peter Jackson, uh, directed screenplay by Stephen Sinclair, Peter Jackson, and Francis Walsh. Uh, I caught in the credits. Three I can't remember. People wrote this thing. <laughs> no shit, dude. <laughs> and and that wasn't. It's even worse than we're making it sound because in the credits for the film, it had the three writers, and then it said based on a story by. <laughs> and and I'm, I don't see that here in front of me, but you know. So it took three people to come up with whoever came up with the germ of the idea like it took them to flush that out so there you go uh okay i'm sorry it took two people because it looks like the story was by steven sinclair and then fran walsh and peter jackson but still two people to meticulously put in the effort to break this down um it's a zombie movie man It starts off in the past on Skull Island because Peter Jackson's a huge mark for King Kong, so got to get that in. Um, <laughs> I was confused. I, I thought I had the wrong movie, which is it's silly because obviously I put in a disc that had a Dead Alive cover on it, and the menu said Dead Alive. So for me to hit play and then get like an old King Kong movie, fuck. Yeah, Patrick sent me the wrong disc. Which one is this? Where's Jeff Bridges? This better not be King Kong 2. Um, if I see Jack Black, I'm turning this shit off. It's some um, 
uh, smugglers. They, they're on Skull Island to capture the Sumatran rat monkey. Says here, a hybrid creature that resulted from the rape of tree monkeys by plague-carrying rats on Skull Island. See, this is why I needed subtitles. I didn't catch any of that in the little prologue. Uh, Stuart McLaden, McAlden, excuse me. He's trying to take this for, it's going to, he's put it in a zoo in New Zealand is what he's trying to do. And he begins to escape with it uh, and it bites him. Uh, Zingaya is what the natives say there. So they see he's bitten, pin him down and just immediately disembowel him. They know something we don't, which is always the case with the natives. They just see this pompous white man come in and think he can do whatever he wants. <laughs> Swift justice. Yeah, they they know the power of the bite from this creature, and so they take him out. They know the only thing they can do is just dismember him and get rid of him. It's like The um, Ruins, a much better movie, but yeah, they can't let him. There you okay, go. Okay, so th- that doesn't make... So, and again, like I said, I was still settling in when this was happening, <laughs> trying to figure out where the subtitles were, but uh, they stop him, right? They realize that he's been bitten, so he's infected. They know mm-hmm. that. We don't. So they chop off his hand, and they realize that he was bitten on his other arm as well, so they, ch- they chop off his other arm. And then there's somewhere else in his body that he's been bitten, so they just... Come- so he they, they kill him, right? But still, somehow, that that creature makes it all the way to New Zealand. Well, because they uh, it shows them at the airport, and despite the fact that this, the guy that went on the mission is not with them, they still pay off these natives to deliver the goods. <laughs> Because okay. that guy, you know, gets a big handful of cash and waves it off proudly. So they're not like the the guys in the ruins. You couldn't pay those guys off. No, the, the guys in the ruins, they <laughs> shoot that little kid in the head. Because they're like, fuck this, we're not getting this shit out of here. We have to protect the outside world from ever fucking suffering this fate. So we go to Wellington in New Zealand. And uh, the first character we're introduced to is Paquita, who tends the local shop uh diana penyelver sorry if i'm mispronouncing your name miss diana i already tweeted about this she immediately uh she looks like extremely problematic professional wrestler tessa blanchard and that was when it showed her i was like wait hold on because like literally the first shot of her was like that looks exactly like tessa blanchard fortunately it's not and i was able to enjoy the rest of this uh to some extent but she is a young lady a shopkeep who is I don't know if desperate to fall in love is the right word, but clearly we get an idea of Peter Jackson's uh, of how he wants to write women in this and that she just is looking for love. And even if that comes at the sake of the, the meat man, there's just the (laughs) dude who comes in and, you know, delivers the meat to the shop front. And she is just smitten hard with him. She is just all giggle panties, you know, any kind of cliche you could think of. She's just all in on this guy. Yeah. Cliché is the right word because the the way that she's depicted as a, as a young woman in love, it's kind of in line with the way that her her mother or her grandmother is depicted as a sort of a mystical Hispanic tarot reader that just kind of lives in the back room of the shop. Yeah, they they are Hispanic, right? They're meant to be Hispanic. I believe. Well, she speaks Spanish at certain points. Yeah, but I couldn't. I, I know she says "Adios mío." I think at some point. But I wasn't sure if that was just, uh, you know, they they could have. I don't know how how faithful to reality they're trying to be in this movie. It is kind of a weird thing. Like you don't really think Hispanic female protagonist in New Zealand 
and for it to be so casual. You know what I mean? Like, I would have thought that it was more of a big deal would have been made of just the fact that she's Hispanic. But I guess, going back to what I was saying earlier... Maybe not Spanish or Romani, maybe. Uh, Yeah, whatever the case. But it's just, I guess... I think the problem is that when I think of New Zealand, I already think of a, of an exotic place, right? And then now you have this other exotic element, which is this uh, international family, like foreign family, this this young woman and her, again, grandma or even older mother, maybe, but uh, who reads her cards and it's all into just mysticism. And it is just cliche. It's, that's just the most well-known depiction of a card reader i guess you can go both ways and they're both ways are pretty trite right you either go with the really attractive gorgeous witch that seduces you into like letting her read your cards or whatever or you go with like the really old card reader that just speaks in riddles and it's just kind of you know peter jackson goes like Puts his camera right up in the nose of this lady. Uh, oh, dude, yeah, this is shot like a '90s television show. <laughs> so, so very, very much. It's like, you know, they just got uh, shit. I don't know what would have been the big show of 1990, but you know, they have TV two years behind in New Zealand, and <laughs> Peter Jackson's just seeing how they're shooting this shit in America now. Because yeah, the big close-ups, the angled close-ups of the face, and like the um, point of view shots, which were really. Uh, obvious in the opening sequence mm-hmm. where like the natives are hunting them and then you see like from their perspective and so yeah the screamed 90s television uh, specifically american television with what i'm familiar with yeah yeah and but just once i would like to see this type of character played by someone that we don't usually see playing a mystical character a card reader which i call it i just want to see a dude and i know that we don't need to cast white men in most in more things but still can you imagine if like the person in this movie that's actually trying to divine what's going on uh, in the mystical side of the world the person that's just pulling the cards and putting them and putting them on the table and all that stuff it was just like a regular looking white dude who we've never seen in this type of role and everybody else just get you know that you can add color around that guy but it was just it's trite you know it's it's just i've seen it so many times before the young woman that only has that has a one track mindset which is like i want to get married and then her grandma that uh that reads the cards and and believes in the supernatural and i guess on the side the grumpy grandpa that <laughs> doesn't believe in anything i don't know and just like eating spaghetti or something the whole time so very very Stereotypical. So the meat man doesn't reciprocate, at least right away. And so we enter Lionel, our main character of the film, who seems just kind of like a local bumpkin is not the right word, but just kind of, I don't know, is he a loser? He he seems to be Lionel Cosgrove. Uh, He lives in a mansion in town with his hyper-controlling mother, but she seems to know who he is, and the people of the village seem to know who he is, and... I guess he's just kind of that neurotic kid that lives up on the mansion or in the mansion, excuse me. Did this guy remind you of anyone? Uh, I mean, not in particular. Uh, the <laughs> He's that unremarkable. <laughs> yeah, he just he seemed to uh Timothy uh Balm, I believe is the gentleman's name. I, I guess I haven't seen him in anything else. He just seemed very happenstantial. <laughs> I thought at times, especially at the beginning, because he was just kind of like quirky. Uh, 
he seemed like the New Zealand version of uh, Bronson Pinchot, which, you know, he was the cousin in Perfect Strangers. Mm-hmm. Do you know this guy from anything else, though? Timothy Baum? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I like to think that I would have recognized him, but then again, no, because yeah, he does look a little bit like Bronson Pinchot, and then as the movie went on, I'm like, he also kind of looks like David Tennant, which probably was in my head because we just did a Doctor Who episode. That's a fair call, but Lionel in this movie, like, he's obviously not a loser, but it definitely seems like we said, uh, Paquita seems to have some interest in him, but it seems to be a distanced one. But he's also just like this smoking hot woman is clearly landed on thick with him and he's just kind of like oh dear i've got to get back to mother so (laughs) we don't know how badly but we learn right off the bat we're dealing with kind of an imbecile that just doesn't (laughs) will do anything to just please others instead of himself uh specifically his mother did you notice that uh that shot when uh he's so perturbed by paquita coming on to him that he he's walking backwards and then he almost gets hit by a bus driving behind him and then he just grabs onto the bus and you know goes away but knowing that this is a low budget production and seeing that how it's sold in one shot do you think peter jackson was kind of taking a chance with this man's life to get that shot absolutely he's (laughs) like here's your mark if you miss it you die (laughs) that's all i could think of for the next five minutes of the movie that's yeah, that's a good point. But yeah, you're exactly right that it, there was nothing, you know, Hollywood about that. And, you know, one of the things I'll, I'll give props to this movie about is that there's nothing. It doesn't appear at any point in this movie. Anything is computer generated. It's all practical effects, including, you know, this guy might be get hit by this bus. So let's just see what happens. <laughs> Jackson's like, either way, we're going to have a great shot. So Lionel comes in, he places an order at the grocery store, the local village mart, what have you, with Paquita is like what me and my mom need. And back up on the hill there, the Victorian mansion they live in, his mom is excited about, she gets a letter referencing that like a a homeowner's group or a women's group. I'm trying to remember the, is it the Wellington Ladies Welfare League? I I don't know exactly what that consists of, but one of their representatives is going to come by their house that week for a meal so she's very excited about it and because of this she wants to clean the house and she says the lawn needs mowed so we get this long very ominous um pending shot of the lawnmower you introduce a lawnmower in the first act (laughs) (laughs) that's how the saying goes in new zealand (laughs) yes this very just long hanging shot on the lawnmower and so they're cleaning the house, getting ready. Paquita brings all the goods that were ordered through this. She introduces her dog to Lionel and she pretty much asks him out. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's just like, Hey, I like you. You want to go out? Uh, and he's like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. He kind of just asked backwards, falls into it. He's like, Oh, well, we can go to the zoo, I guess. I don't know. Uh, you were talking earlier about the, uh, you were talking earlier about the crazy, uh, point of view shots here this is one of those yeah. when uh when the dog jumps at him and you just see the nose of the dog coming at the camera i'm like what is this how is this necessary <laughs> it's just peter jackson showing off with camera angles regardless of whether they matter in the story or not because it's not like the dog really plays an integral part like he's part of a of a scene later on but that's it i mean this this shot of the the big 
dog head coming at you has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. And that's how a lot of the filmmaking feels throughout here. It's just like, oh, there's a guy that's really excited to be making a movie and he's just going to show off as much as possible. So they go to the zoo together, which is a really good date. I often wish I lived in a city with a zoo. But what's not good about a date is he takes his mom with him on their first date. I guess he has separation anxiety or some shit. But <laughs> but at the zoo, we pan back to the beginning of the film with the Sumatran rat monkey who is, and I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, Peter Jackson. I'm just, <laughs> your movie didn't do a good enough job of providing me with context and explanation, so I have to go off of uh, text and just say things <laughs> phonetically. Um it bites the mother. You know, they see like a monkey get killed by it and this thing comes out of its cage and it bites the mother. The mother makes sure to kill it though. But at this point, you know, the curse is passed on the the Zingaya, I think is what they call it at the beginning of it. <laughs> so in the, you know, in the context of the year 2021, uh, where we can grade things, special effects and the level of, uh, I don't know, on the, on the top you have, just shit that you'll see at the MCU. And at the very bottom, you'll have, like, I don't know, the little creatures that dance in uh, Jabba the Hutt's palace in Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Like, where do you rank this uh, rat monkey? The, the the special effects depicting its movement? All like well, it's a stop motion. And, so yes. it's already... It ranks in over the, the CG creatures of today. <laughs> the porgs or what have you. But it definitely... Yeah, it's up there with, like, the old school Star Wars type. I I had to keep reminding myself to cut Peter Jackson some slack, and because uh, you know this kind of special effect it wouldn't fly in his later productions, uh, and it I I felt like it barely flew here, because it's just weird. Like you have, I I don't think that it's uh, on the same uh, world that the rest of the special effects. Everything in in this movie for better or for worse, feels like I can touch it. The, mm. All the, you know, all the zombie stuff that happens later, and even, like, earlier, you know, when they were, when the, the natives were chopping that guy up, I mean, it just felt like that's that's real, that's textured. And uh, But then when we finally get a look at this creature, it just felt like, a, a, like it wasn't really there. It took me out of the movie. I was glad that they, they killed it because my first thought was that, oh, this is just going to be it. This is the antagonist. It's going to be like a like gremlins, you know, where this little thing is going to escape the zoo and is going to terrorize the town. Uh, that's not exactly what happened. <laughs> and we don't see it again after the, the mom stomps on its head for, you know, five times. Yeah, I was about to say, this is as good a time as any, because like, obviously this is where it kind of kicks off and it's all up or downhill from here, depending on your perspective. What are your thoughts on the the hyper gore and just the X amount of gallons of fake movie blood that were used for this movie? And here in particular, because she like uses her heel to dig into the head of this thing and its eyeballs pop out and whatnot. For you, I don't know if it is like for me, does it go from kind of like, huh, this is kind of fun to by the end of the movie, you're just sick of it? I, I didn't have to wait till the end of the movie, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'll give Peter Jackson this, which is that it it tells you very early on what kind of movie you're in for, and mm-hmm. this is actually a really good scene to to put as an example because the way that she kills this rat monkey, it goes on 
way longer than I cared for, and I imagine people like me care for. At the same time, you're letting people that that love this kind of stuff to go like, oh yeah, okay, so it's this kind of movie where she's just gonna, it, it's overkill. But this entire movie is overkill. And would I have used <laughs> the resources <laughs> involved in making a movie into just so much excess? Uh, no, I wouldn't. And I definitely, you know, it only gets worse from here on if if you're not into that kind of stuff. Clearly, what comes through it is, is like that, perpetual. Like it just it starts here and then it just keeps more and 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 more. Right, and it it happens so. I mean, it's a short movie by you know regular standards, and uh, but it it just because he, it keeps having to top itself, and yeah. it feels like the the primary aim of Peter Jackson. He, I felt like he had two goals making this movie. One, I'm just gonna have fun, man. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> you either come to the party or not. But but I am. I have all this money. And I have all the all this uh, red syrup. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna have fun. Logic be damned. Uh, and then the other thing was that he was just going to basically uh, make a statement as far as like horror goes, and just kind of like keep going bigger but at no point did i feel that he was interested in uh you know intellectually engaging the audience <laughs> in any way <laughs> this is like this is the, the the equivalent of just you know throwing a kegger and just what you care about is just like drinking as much as possible not necessarily yeah. like drinking quality stuff <laughs> Or, or beating people or anything. No, just, this is a dirty thirty. This is the thirty pack of Keystone Light. This is <laughs> yes, exactly. This this is the natty ice of film. <laughs> yes, exactly. And you know what is uh, kind of uh, I don't know if reassuring is the right word, but it, I it didn't feel bad to me to suddenly find myself being able to trace the excesses of uh, present day Peter Jackson all the way to his beginnings because yes this movie is only 96 minutes or 107 if you know you watched it I guess the extended edition but uh, yes what it doesn't have in runtime it hasn't just uh, just the, the overdoing of everything else so you can absolutely believe that the filmmaker that made Dead Alive decades later when he had all the money in Hollywood for his next movies, he was like, oh yeah, fuck it, three hours long, each of them. <laughs> King Kong? Sure, three hours. I don't care. <laughs> it's just gonna be like, there's... Peter Jackson, he doesn't understand the meaning of the word restrained, or the word no. He just... If he thinks it, it happens. And you can even feel it here when he was working under a, a, an indie budget, right? It's just like, well, what can I be excessive about? <laughs> just the gore. Uh, yeah, it, it's <laughs> TLDR. This movie lost me pretty early on, <laughs> especially because it just desensitizes you. It's like a uh, like the nudity in Showgirls. After twenty minutes, it's just like this is not doing Perfect. anything for me. <laughs> I've seen everything. Analogy. I've seen everything that this movie had to offer. Yeah, because yeah, by the end of this, I was like, yeah, there's more blood. I get it. <laughs> it's still it's, red. You, yeah, exactly. You got to learn to show restraint, man. Otherwise, by the end of the movie, people aren't going to be caring about what's going on. But to recap, uh, the monkey bit the mom, uh, and this is bad news. 
the the rat monkey. Uh, during all this, this motherfucker has the gall to try to introduce some sort of backstory that could potentially pay <laughs> off later in the movie where Lionel's talking about his dad drowning when he was a kid. Um, and this story, let's just go ahead and talk about it because it's like very sparingly sprinkled throughout and it's uh, very frugal when it is. You and can tell. You can tell that Peter Jackson doesn't give a shit about this story. <laughs> no, he just is like, you know, he's rubbing himself over the pants to make sure it's still got some shape <laughs> to it for the next time he can dump in a bunch of fake blood. He, but the story is his dad. Dr- he saw his dad drown, but then we find out that it was a matter of his dad was having an affair, and then his mom, who he obviously was very unhealthily attached to drown both of them in their bathtub right yes which is one of the weirdest shots and the weirdest implications in this movie uh, that this woman was able to wrestle down two adults and drown them in the bathtub that doesn't you know like you you don't really get to and see we're not it. talking about like a hot tub that you find like rooftop at you know <laughs> an omni you know or something like that this is just a bathtub that would have been common in, you know, the the sixties, and he, yeah. she fit two full grown adults into it, and <laughs> apparently has the power of you know Jason Voorhees to just force their heads into it, and not let it up simultaneously. <laughs> That's the tricky part. I mean, I'm assuming that they were already in the bathtub. World's you know? strongest man type strength here. This <laughs> this bitch could like rip a phone book in half with her bare hands. I mean, she did do a number on the monkey rat. So yeah, true. I wonder if this subplot was the contribution of the other writer. That was that's what he brought to the table. <laughs> the guy, yeah, the the you know the Damon uh, Affleck combo. And this was the guy that actually wanted to <laughs> add something to it. He's like, well, what if we have this story about the mom was actually not that good of a person and she killed the yeah, whatever. <laughs> and he, you know, the original cut of it was three hours long, and then when it actually they went to press it. Peter Jackson just cut out all that shit. So this guy went to the premiere, like, you know, brought his whole family. He, he he thought in his mind he wrote, like, this psychological thriller. And then Peter Jackson's just there, you know, with the popcorn bucket over his dick. Just <laughs> completely hard as a diamond in an ice storm watching what he made. And this guy's just there and his dad and mom are looking over so disapprovingly at him. All he wanted to do was make a movie about a, a guy who loved his mom and she killed father but it was not to be it was so, about the, the secrets that we keep in our families <laughs> back of the house the the mom's falling apart after this bite she's sick she's ill she's literally falling apart uh but the uh, ladies welfare league shows up it's this couple this distinguished couple that's there and she insists on doing it this bite is oozing this is again we talked about already the hyper violence grotesqueness gore whatever the hell you want to call it is picking up in full gear um they have a a dinner scene or a lunch scene together here the woman notices that this old bag on the end of the table is just falling apart and (laughs) there's just goo coming out of every orifice on her body so we need to get out of here whereas her husband this fat dude Says, you know, we can't leave without having pudding. And so the Lionel brings out the custard. This woman's uh, open sore jettisons like pus into it. Her ear falls off into her own. The dude takes a big heaping spoonful of it and says, rich and creamy, just like I like it. Uh, 
And uh, that's apparently one of the more famous lines in the movie. The first time I tried watching this, this was the scene I shut it off at. I was like, this is just too fucking gross. I don't blame you. Uh, Number one, your New Zealand accent, spot on. That's... Oh, it has to you. be it has to be praised. Uh, number two, I I think that this is where the movie absolutely divorces itself from reality, uh, because if you were Lionel, wouldn't you force your mother into the hospital? Like I don't care what she says, she's literally falling apart. <laughs> because before they arrive, they arrive and she's getting ready, and she just rips her cheek off, like the skin off her cheek. Just oh, he like, like super glues it back on. Yeah. I'm like, okay, fair enough. So we're in that kind of movie then, which goes back to the point of uh, the subplot about the the father being murdered. No, that has no place in a movie where this guy is super gluing his mom's cheek back, like the skin back into her cheek. And then, if you were that guy's uh, the the Custer guy's wife, and you saw because she sees it, there's a close up where she sees what happens. Wouldn't you mm-hmm. stop your husband from eating the pudding? No shit. <laughs> she, I guess she's just so terrified she can't speak out but yeah this quickly becomes a zombie movie after this these people leave the mom is just completely falling apart and it really just becomes like goofy yep. uh, Paquita comes over with her dog the, the mom eats the dog uh, it's intensified gore they add uh, Shit, this is like he throws her down in the basement and chains her up down there. So, so this is uh this what I it doesn't make sense and it this really hampered my uh, my enjoyment of the movie. This really got in the way of me just enjoying the rest of the movie because he stops acting like a rational, a rational person. human. Yes, yeah. Yes. It, it's not just that he doesn't take her to the hospital, uh, but it's that he decides to pretend that everything is okay and he doesn't tell paquita who's already seen this woman eat her dog (laughs) so she'd be okay i I think that she'd be very understanding of like oh this is some really weird shit it's not like she's gonna run away in horror when he tells her my mom's a zombie uh instead she'd probably go like oh that makes sense that's why she ate my dog (laughs) that's why she looked terrible but instead he uh he throws his mom in the basement and then he tells paquita that uh that the ambulance came and, and took her to the hospital and then decides to just, I guess his plan is to just live the rest of his life <laughs> with his mom in the basement. I don't know. It's just weird. Dude, it gets worse from here, but you're exactly right. It's just, I don't know what his his thought is of what he's going to accomplish. But he chains her up in the basement. He goes and I, I guess just to see Paquita, but he won't tell her exactly the extent of what's going on. He is, in the meantime, though, by Paquita's mom or aunt or grandmother, whoever that is that lives in the back of the shop there. He's given that crucifix. That he gets his tarot cards re- read to him and then is given this crucifix that basically says this will guide you the way. This will be there for you. You know, it'll help It'll help you out in a bind. And if you get in a pinch, maybe you can pawn it for a few bucks, that type of thing. <laughs> uh, the mom wanders out. Of, she gets out of the basement, wanders into town, though. She gets hit by a bus. This is where uh, the villagers think she's dead now because basically he's been keeping her in the basement he has like tranquilizer he's just which again it makes no sense as to why he just wouldn't i take that back at this point in the movie you could get behind it on the sense that he's trying to take care of his mom here in a few ticks is when it completely loses all of that even then i mean you're being pretty charitable 
but but I mean, yes, I I remember thinking, all right, let's say that that was my mom. Like, at what point do you just fully accept that there's no you're past the point of no return? Where is that point, right? If if your mom is has turned into a zombie and by now she's in pretty bad shape, I, at what point do you just stop you know killing time while you try to figure out a way to to cure her and you realize no okay she's not coming back from this it's this is just gotta put an end to it uh i can kind of see that rationale i still don't buy that he doesn't enlist the help of like the one person that would probably understand uh and also which who happens to be the, the one person that has like sort of supernatural ties like has a background in the occult with her mother you know no that, shit but instead he just he keeps it secret. Um, that's probably the, the main problem with the movie. Whether you like gore or not is just that Lionel doesn't behave like a like a normal person would. So they prep uh, Vera, I believe is his mother's name, for her funeral. And it's this really weird comedic segment of like he has to get to her body in time to make sure she's sedated uh, for them to bury her. He gets there and her body's like bubbling over and ruptures with all this you know, green goo. I appreciate the uh, nod to early nineties Nickelodeon with this, with the the slime (laughs) action. But again, it all plays out for laughs. They crash through the stained glass uh, in the cathedral. Uh, Eventually Vera is buried though. And he goes there to dig her up that night. And he's confronted by a gang of hooligans, punks uh, in the, the cemetery that attack him for, presumably digging digging up stiffs that's the way they keep wording it throughout uh, interestingly enough uh there was a lawsuit about this movie where this dude said that the movie infringed on uh, his privacy by containing pictures of his family's tombstone just because they used like a real cemetery for some of these cemetery shots so oh, i thought that was interesting anyway these hooligans <laughs> One of these punks decides to piss on the grave she's in. And he's like, my mom's buried there. And mom wakes up and fucks all these dudes up and bites them and turns them into zombies. Did you uh, feel that priest- that shot of the when she kills the main guy, the guy that's pissing on her grave? So she basically, her hand comes up and then she pulls him down. And then there's yeah. this, this kind of like overhead shot where it looks, and maybe I'm just dirty minded, but it looks like he's humping the grave. Is that how it looked to you? Like, you know, and then eventually she just releases him and he's just all bloody. Well, I mean, there's blood flying out everywhere on every side of him. So <laughs> I hope I hope that's not sex. That's not the way I've come to learn it. <laughs> the grave is humping him, not the other way around. Um, even before he's assaulted by these hooligans, though, I, I just have to keep going back to what was his plan? Was, was he going to spend the rest of his life kind of like sneaking into the graveyard, digging his mom up, shooting her with tranquilizer, burying her again? <laughs> <laughs> until the end of time just to keep up the pretense that she's dead well we'll get to what the fuck is wrong with this dude here in just a second we got to get through this scene though where the priest that you know presented the sermon at the funeral senses trouble afoot and he sees what's going on and he comes down and it turns into like this bruce lee action scene he says i kick ass for the lord and he's throwing all these fucking karate <laughs> kicks at these dudes and then he eventually gets bit and impaled on a um shit what are those called the concrete statues in a cemetery. I know they have an actual title, but I'm blanking on it. I, when we got to Ninja Priest, that's where I realized that we were going from whatever this movie was 
into Velocipaster territory. Where we're mm. just like, now we don't even care. <laughs> That's it. I could feel it crosses a line again in this in this scene where you know because it's okay to have fun i think when you're making a movie i think that you should have fun because it's such it's so much work and there's so much pressure on all stuff it's good to keep things light but there comes yeah. a point where you have to realize that there are times when you're having fun but that doesn't translate into the movie being fun and this just felt this scene just felt like that line was crossed and we went into the territory of like oh they're just fucking around at this point because the the priest suddenly becoming a martial artist expert comes out of nowhere <laughs> and, and, and is shot in a way that is also encouraging you to just not care it was like in in a world where the the priest that was officiating the funeral can suddenly become Bruce Lee and kick ass for like five minutes against a bunch of zombies, then just why do I care? Anything can happen. You know, Paquita can suddenly like, I don't know, pull up with an Uzi and just mow down everybody. You're exactly <laughs> right. It's the scene in the movie that definitely makes the divide of like, if you were trying to have any sense of um, investment in this movie up until this point, cool, but we don't care. <laughs> this is, this is what we're doing. And this is it. To be fair, it sets the tone for the rest of the movie, which I guess would have been, it, it, that's a lot more fair than leading people along with this tale of this guy who's obsessed with his mom, like this almost Anthony Perkins style <laughs> story, um, or Norman Bates, I should say. Uh, but here it makes a conscious effort to be like, hey, if you were taking notes or really investing in anything that's going on, fuck you, because it doesn't matter. <laughs> so we get this scene and then. This is where Lionel just, I have no sympathy, cannot relate to him, and completely check out of the movie at this point. Because we see he's basically running a home for all these people that are afflicted. <laughs> um, you know, the nurse that was killed or zombified by Vera. Vera's there. One of the punks is there. The priest is there. They're all falling apart. He's, like, feeding them. He's making them custard, and but putting, you know, tranquilizer in it. Uh, the nurse that has her throat slit. And the priest um, begin, you know, engaging in regular bouts of coitus, which eventually leads to a zombie baby being born. Um, my note here says Lionel is a fucking moron. <laughs> there is no explanation ever. Well, you, you would do, you know, I thought uh, to um, Shaun of the Dead. Great movie. Mm -hmm. The scene where Shaun has to deal with... Uh, I know his mom gets bit, but the to me, the one with his stepdad is the more emotional scene. Mm -hmm. um, but that whole dealing, it, obviously a zombie apocalypse is not something that any of us have actually experienced so far, but it's something that the emotions that we go through when we sometimes watch these, we can try to reflect on ourselves and see, you know, what would I do in that situation? I thought that the scenes in Shaun of the Dead with the stepfather and the mother like I said, specifically the stepfather are some of the more relatable scenes in a zombie movie ever where someone that you're loved is bit and you go through the emotions of them dying, but then knowing what's going to happen next and what you have to do to react to that. So I say up until a certain point in this movie, I ask you in that situation, your mother or someone you're very close to, I can kind of almost relate to Lionel in this and wanting to, you know, do what he can even, you know, the end of Shaun of the Dead with his friend, how he 
he's a zombie, but he keeps him on a chain because he still wants some of that friendship there. I can relate with what Lionel's doing in a certain extent, extent with his mother, but then the shit where he just these strangers <laughs> in his home and he's just welcoming this death and chaos, like. When the, the the closing sequence of this movie happened and he didn't die, I felt betrayed by the movie. <laughs> so I think you can understand what I'm saying. You can sympathize with this up until a certain point, but here halfway through the movie, I was just like, fuck this. This dude deserves to be eaten. Yeah. I think that part of the problem is that he never – we never get a sense that he has a plan. And I I don't find that endearing, especially because the movie doesn't acknowledge it either. You know, there's not – a point where somebody point blank tells him like what's what are you doing right or where he breaks down and tells somebody like look i don't know what happens i just can't bring myself to killing them uh and that would have been a really powerful scene if you actually got a moment where he he opened up and he he realized you realize that the big thing is that he can't kill these people but it's not really that you know i mean eventually (laughs) it turns out that he has no problem killing zombies (laughs) you know when it comes down to it it's not like a big moment so it it just doesn't track and even with the mom i mean it's uh shawn of the dead is a really funny movie but those moments hit you because the transition into them being zombies like the mom and and the stepdad and all that i mean there's a process and it's not when it happens, it's shocking, and it's—I mean, it's—it looks horrible, but it's not so like over the top grotesque as what's happening here. And on top of that, the problem is that her his mom was so overbearing and nasty even before she became a zombie that there's there's no investment in in that relationship. You know, I I watch it and I'm like, I don't feel bad when she becomes a zombie. I'm like, man, finally he's gonna be free because <laughs> this woman was just terrible. So. There is no point. It, uh, it, there's nothing. There's no element in this story that that works to where it makes sense the way that he's behaving, uh, and it was just exasperating. I mean, I think that what happens is that once you get to the scenes, you realize that the only reason that he's doing it is so that Peter Jackson and his team can just have more zombie effects and have fun with him, like taking the baby to the park and all that stuff. It's like in uh, the first Metal Gear, when you know some of the later Metal Gears, you, your cachet can only be so much. Because they tried to make it more realistic to where you can only carry, you know, so many weapons. So, like, in the first one, you would just stockpile all your shit. So, like, by the Mm -hmm. end, you could just have this absolute blowout with your Nikita missiles and your Stinger missiles and shit. So, I get what he's going for here. But much like the original Metal Gear and the example I'm making, uh, a realistic film, that does not make. A realistic (laughs) scenario, that does not make. Uh, even worse than any of the shit we've talked about so far because he has this imposed burden on himself of these fucking zombies that he's taking care of. He goes and fucking (laughs) shoes away Paquita, the fine-ass woman that runs the the shop in town with the, the parents or grandparents or aunt and uncle that's trying to help him out. He just goes there and says, you know, I can't be with you. I don't love you. And she's like begging for him. This gorgeous, beautiful woman, beautiful hair, unbelievable fashion sense. And he just, you know, he's there looking fucking weird and gaunt and shit. And she wants him and he just has the nerve to be like, no, piss off. Um, I'm too edgy and dangerous for you. Exactly. And the he like tries to hide from her in town when she sees him and shit. The meat man has to come and save the day. I mean, he turns out to be a real dick, but he has to, 
I think he even punches him, right? He's like, yeah, he punches him. And honestly, at that point, I'm like, off. yeah, can we just follow this guy for a while? Because Lionel is just too frustrating to to keep up with. And Uncle Les, this is where we enter Ian Watkin, Uncle Les. He, New Zealand's uh, John Goodman. <laughs> yeah, he's like a John Goodman, Chris Farley combination because he definitely <laughs> has some of the facial expressions down. But he is uh, Vera's brother and seems like a nasty fellow. He's got some of them sharp sideburns that were the style at the time for sure and that tremendous rug atop his head. <laughs> he is there. He wants money. He wants into the estate. Um he, you know, makes a thing about Vera died so quickly that I didn't make it under a will. And he's kind of like, you know, trying to leverage and press the matter for money. But during this process, he ends up finding what's being stored in the basement. And I think the exact quote is like, quite a collection of stiffs you got there, Lionel. And <laughs> he says, you know, he even gets the police on the phone at one point, which I love the whole thing. He calls the police he's like, I'd like to report a murder. <laughs> And <laughs> and he's like leveraging this situation. If you call and report a murder, you can't just hang up the phone. Even in 1992, <laughs> they can still trace your phone number and call you back and be like, "Motherfucker, did you just call and say someone got murdered?" And so Lionel agrees to it. He's like, "All right, I'll give you what you want." And so naturally, with these dead people in the basement in the cellar, and after this bout of extortion. The most logical thing you do is you have a party. <laughs> Uncle Les can definitely throw a party. So they have this party, and wouldn't you know it, things go awry. <laughs> this is this is basically the, the end of the, the story <laughs> portion of the movie. Yes. This fucking sequence is like the last 30 minutes of the movie. We haven't mentioned it too much. I made reference to it a, a few minutes ago. There is a zombie baby that's born. It's annoying it runs around and causes chaos and is ugly we uh if you head over to our facebook page we talk about it a little more extensively that uh, its main sequence in the film was purely by accident but it, it like a lot of things in this movie just exists for no reason it exists just to be there i guess would be the better way of saying it it doesn't really pay off in the end i can't even remember that yeah the baby gets burnt up in the end i think that uh peter jackson overestimated how much people would like the baby or at least in my case because <laughs> i think that that's he thought a, this was going to be like the the money maker this was yep. going to be the merchandise deal <laughs> yes yeah that baby needed to be gone within five minutes of appearing on screen it's like oh okay it's a funny gag they had a zombie baby okay now that's it get rid of it but instead it just sticks around to the end he keeps coming back and and it's never funny so it's there we wanted to make sure we talked about that before we go into what Julio said. This is like the end of the movie, but it's the last 30 minutes of it um, where it's this party and the zombies get out and everyone becomes a zombie. It's just a bloodletting that just keeps going and going and going when, okay. So Julio, you had not seen this nor were you, I don't think familiar with it. Even the first time I watched it. And since then I know what it's famous for is um, two parts that we're coming up to, or the, you know, it's contributions. But when it got to this party sequence, did you think this is basically where the movie was going to end? Because there's, like I said, a literal half hour left in the film. Uh, I figured that they were going to turn all in. The, 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 the party was going to lead to everybody being turned to zombies. I didn't think that that meant that we're going to spend the rest of the movie in the house. You know, I thought that they were just going to spread out into town. Uh, 
I guess if I'd thought about it, I'd be like, oh, well, obviously it's a lot cheaper to just have it all <laughs> confined into the one location. Uh, but I, I did see coming, I think anybody would see coming that, oh, all these people are going to become uh, zombies. Probably not going to see coming that uh, Paquita almost gets raped by Uncle Les, which was pretty off-putting. Yeah. And he doesn't really, you know, eventually, like everybody else in this movie, or almost everybody else in this movie, he, he gets killed and he gets killed in a pretty gruesome way. But again, because all the kills have been gruesome, it didn't, it, I, I didn't really feel that that was a good enough comeuppance. Yes. He sticks around for a while too. He gets to kill a bunch of zombies. I'm like, are you actually rooting for this guy? Are you are you selling him as a sort of anti-hero? Because he's a piece of shit. Oh, yeah, he becomes like, yeah, exactly what you're saying. He becomes like the Rambo type. Like, he gets really in- ingenuitive and, uh, you know, using all these weapons, he gets that one shot of him with the two butcher's knives or mm-hmm. the almost like hatchets where he, meat cleavers is the phrase I'm looking for, where he's just like, you know, with both arms, Simpson style. Yeah, 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 <laughs> just going after people. And exactly what you said he's like an awful he extortion attempted rape you know it, multiple times he was groping paquita and shit and then he becomes kind of like oh it's uncle les he's crazy oh i hope he kills the baby and then he like the closing sequence of the movie or the last act not even the closing sequence he becomes a bit of comedy because he keeps getting hit in the balls over and over again yes. and it's like ha 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 is this funny i guess i don't i don't know um Paul, I appreciate you forking over your hard-earned Monday for it. I'm not going to recount the last half hour of this movie bit by bit. <laughs> I'm just going to call out some highlights here I have in my notes. And Julio, I advise you to do the same, or I encourage you, implore you to do the same. Um, fist through the back of the head. Awesome. The woman like is scared of the zombies, so she puts her hands over her face, and then blah, this fist goes through her mouth and comes out. Uh, that was memorable. We get the sequence where they try, try to put the baby in the blender. It, the blade basically just like shoots the baby upward and allows it to escape. There's a there's a moment where Paquita almost gets bitten. But oh that. my god, it was my next note that you got <laughs> took that out of me. I did like that because I, having never seen this movie all the way through, she's the only character in this that I like wanted to survive. Mm-hmm. And so when I thought she got bit, I was like, no. But Julio, what happens? So Lionel, who's swinging at the time, <laughs> is upside down swinging from the ceiling from some dude's intestines. And uh, so he swings and he grabs the zombie that's biting her and pulls him. And so rescues her. You know, as he pulls, the zombie's teeth are still on her, but I guess it didn't break uh, her skin. So she's not infected. And I was like, okay, that was imaginative. Yeah, big fan of the zombie dentures not doing the trick. I thought that was, <laughs> you know, for all my other issues with it, I thought that was really good. Um, comedically, probably one of the number one gags this movie's known for when he's trying to escape the zombies, but it's been such a bloodletting that he ends up just running in place because all the blood on the floor makes it so slick. That was funny. We needed more of that. Well, it is funny, but the problem is that it lingers for so long. It well, just yeah. keeps going and going. It's, it's like, a Peter right, Jackson get- movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I get the idea. Let's let's move it along here. <laughs> Any other highlights before we get to the lawnmower? Uh, yeah, through this all, I guess the, the the other thing, and this is something that doesn't work at all. It's just the the completely out of place with everything else that's happening. Uh, flashbacks to to what really happened to the dad. You know, he he finds a, a chest with all the the photographs of his dad and his lover. 
that I guess the mom had been keeping in the attic. And uh, that kind of like, you know, sends him down memory lane. He starts remembering a little bit of what happened. Uh, just they need it at this point. I mean, that, we've established already that that subplot is completely uh, irrelevant. It doesn't belong in this movie. Uh, and here, in the middle of all this mayhem, the movie stops so that Lionel can just do a little bit of a investigative journalism. So when it looks like the zombies are going to be taking over and that it's just too much for them to handle or survive, and I think it even looks like Paquita's about to meet her maker here, the door swings open and there's Lionel with his lawnmower from the beginning of the film. He's got I do like the way he's got it rigged. It's like a cord around the back of his neck and hooked to this lawnmower, and he does have the line, Potty's over. <laughs> he fires it up. Really <laughs> shitty looking lawnmower blade. Like you can buy some pretty honking lawnmower blades at you know walmart for christ's sake this guy's <laughs> just got looks to be like a, a, a piece of cardboard he cut out from a pizza box but he just <laughs> goes to town on the zombies and just yeah they're all zombies and they're dumb so of course they're going to be feeding into it roughly 80 gallons of movie blood was used for this scene you can see it D- don't you think it's like too much. <laughs> Forget the argument of too much. It's just repetitive. Yeah, there's nothing to it. And especially because I thought that, not that this would have made any difference in how I feel about the movie, but uh, I guess I would have had one less thing to complain uh, to complain about. The only other time we saw the lawnmower, when they were setting it up, I thought that the, the point of that scene was to show that the lawnmower was not working. Right? He's mowing the lawn and then he has to stop and turn it over because it stopped working. So, when he shows up with this thing that wasn't working last time we saw it, I'm like, oh, it's going to be a gag over. Like, he goes into the zombies and then the, it doesn't work or it stops working really quickly. But that doesn't happen. <laughs> Instead, he's just yeah. the fucking Terminator and just mows them all. And he wipes them all out. And so we think it, it's over. Uh, Lionel and Paquita retreat. This is where Vera, we see her. She has now become Mecha Vera. She is the the zombie monster because she was, you know, patient zero or patient one, you know, what have you. So she has had the most time to ruminate. And uh, so is, is the logic that given enough time, like all the other zombies would have grown to this size as well? I guess they would just become, you know, these rampage style monsters and just, you know, go through the cities and tear down and eat people as they saw fit, you know, just scooping them up in the handfuls. <laughs> then Godzilla would she, show up to save the day. God bless. Exactly. <laughs> My fat Godzilla from 2014 would Please. show up and be bothered. <laughs> yeah, she's just this big, grotesque, hideous monster that is talking to her son. And this is. I can't even do this, Julio. The, the The story is this is where he finally stands up to his mom. And like, I know you killed, you know, dad and that woman. She's like, you'll never leave mom. So she has him re-enter her womb to where he has to cut himself out of it to get out. And this deluge of innards and blood come along with it. And then how do they kill her? He says, I don't believe in you. <laughs> he turns away. <laughs> He says, I take back every bit of power I ever gave you. <laughs> yes. I don't remember. I, I mean, I'm sure he used the medallion for something. That's how he cut his way out. Right, but then to kill her? I mean, because by now we've tried everything. <laughs> She's still coming at us. 
Oh, he cuts her open and she like she falls back into the burning house and blows up. Okay, there you go. Julia and I both watched this movie like within the past twelve <laughs> hours of our lives and are having this difficult of a time recounting it. Dude, that's what happens when you check out. I was already yeah, thinking of like, man, I true. need to pull quotes for this. And, uh, and and here's the thing. I did not feel guilty to, you know, if I looked away from the screen because I'm like, I knew exactly what's happening and it has zero relevance. <laughs> it's just, uh, I mean, clearly I might have missed like a plot point here and there, but it's not Peter Jackson didn't care. So why, why should I, you know, it's just like, oh, <laughs> more gore, throw blood at the screen. Um, I had a little chuckle to myself when, uh, the, in the aftermath of all this, the house is on fire, and uh, Lionel and Paquita are walking away from the house, and the firefighters show up, and then I instantly thought of like, oh, where's Lori's throat? Because she needs to tell him, let it burn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, you know, just looking at the firefighters, I'll take it from here. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, and then they kiss, and someday my Sugar Ray starts playing in the credits roll. <laughs> All right. Well, well, that's it. That was Dead Alive. For better or worse, that was Brain Dead. Or Dead Alive. Paul, we, we stumbled through this on the rough cut. <laughs> so what you're listening to right now has been Frankenstein together. So I hope you enjoyed it, my man. <laughs> oh, but there's the fun continues because uh, we still have oh. real talk. <laughs> Does it? <laughs> uh, all right, Julio. So let's uh, let's move it on. <laughs> is amongst us. Stay back, boy. This calls for divine intervention. I kick ass for the Lord. And we are back. Before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is the part of the show where we let patrons know what they can expect on our patron feed, and we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. And, as we like to do from time to time, when the opportunity arises, we would like to welcome a new patron, Robert Stewart, also known as Stu from the Stu World Order website and podcast. He's been a, a long-time listener, very big fan of the show. He He's told us how much he enjoys our content numerous times. So, of course, it makes sense. Next step in Contrarian's fandom is to, to join our patron channel. So now Stu is going to be able to uh, check out our uh, cutting room floor segments, which is where we put all the stuff that doesn't make it into the official episodes. He's going to be able to look at our pre-recording notes. He's going to be able to listen to Patreon-exclusive episodes, like this month, where we're doing the movie Singham, the 2011 Indian movie selected by patron Brandon Curtis. And he'll also be able to check out the quick video reviews of uh, related Indian movies. Singham Returns, which will be covered by Alex, and Simba, which will be covered by me, and I've been assured it has nothing to do with The Lion King. And then, of course, we'll have Contrarians After Hours. The little patron spin-off where Alex and I talk about other things that we've been watching, reading, playing, thinking about. Alex, what are you bringing to After Hours this time? Quick kind of recaps of movies I watched recently. My contrarian's compatriot, Julio, showed up at my house recently and donated a stack of movies to my 
<laughs> physical media collection. I believe the short and narrow of it is someone donated to his collection and he basically handed down the movies he already had, which I am still greatly appreciative of, uh, which consists of a, a large amount of Woody Allen movies. But I'm trying to work through that stack <laughs> as well as other movies I've recently bought. So updating accordingly. Um, so for After Hours, movies I've watched recently... Uh, Scoop, Matchpoint, both Woody Allen movies. Uh, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, a 1981 made-for-TV horror movie. Mary Goes Round, which is a movie I just randomly came across on Peacock, starring uh, Aya, Aya Cash. Interesting movie. Interesting performance, not an interesting <laughs> movie. Uh, but um, I would talk about Writers of Justice as well, because that was a movie I recently watched. That movie fucking rules. Uh, but <laughs> that's something that you can get onto our Patreon for, because I recorded a video review of that movie as it was requested by our patron, Jason. Yeah, so just kind of a buckshot, uh, quick reviews and just discussion points of some movies I've watched recently. I'm just trying to keep tabs of uh, everything that I've been going through uh, film-wise. And as I continue to work through them. Oh, and uh, Desperately Seeking Susan as well will come up. The 85 Madonna vehicle. It's uh, It's been an all over the place uh, past week or so. <laughs> kind of like a Peter Jackson movie, but less gory. <laughs> Lingering, yeah. Uh, on my end, I finally watched a show that people in my uh, social media sphere had been talking about. And it lived up to the hype. It's the uh, Steve Martin, Martin Short, Selena Gomez comedy on Hulu, Only Murders in the Building. Have you heard about this, Alex? I have not. Ten episodes, 30 minutes each. Super easy binge. Uh, my wife and I watched it in, in two days. <laughs> we blew through the first eight episodes on Saturday and then finished it on Sunday. I'll tell you all about it. It's, it's really, really good and really funny. And then I actually... I've been obsessed with this little game on my phone. I think I might have mentioned the fact that when I got a new phone, I got three months, three free months of uh, Apple Arcade because I got an iPhone. And uh, there's like a whole new universe of games <laughs> if you have the Apple Arcade, you know, subscription. And, a whole uh, new world. Yeah, basically. And not just Aladdin games either. It's just uh, a whole bunch of like really cool stuff. I got the, I don't even remember how I got into this game, but it's, it's called Dear Reader. I wouldn't say that it's exclusively for people that like to read, but I'm sure it helps if you enjoy just sitting down with a good book and just going through it. Uh, I'll tell you about it. If any of you follow me on Twitter, you probably see me post a little bit about it because I've, I've been playing it for about a month, maybe a little longer. And, you know, by now, I think if, if I was going to get tired of it, it would have happened already. So I think this game is it's there to stay in my routine, at least for a while longer. Dear Reader, Only Murders in the Building, and then a whole bunch of movies that Alex watched. Which, by the way, that, that stack that I received and that then kind of like made its way, part of it made its way to you. That's courtesy of uh, my friend, I guess he's your friend too, Alex, Randall Ishii, who not only is he a great guy all around, but also he married Kelly and I. So, you know, multi-purpose friendship. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was downsizing his collection. Yep, yep. He was downsizing his collection and he messaged me and he was like, I was being difficult. Not difficult, but you know, like he was like, hey, which movies of mine do you want? I was like, well, can you send me a list? Or 
<laughs> and he's like, how about we just show up at your house and just <laughs> leave a whole bag of movies? And if you don't like any of them, you can just give them away. And he did that. And it was great. Anyway, yeah, thank you, Randall. A couple of them I'm not sure I'm going to keep, but I, I do know that some of them were clearly bought from Blockbuster sales because they were still in the Blockbuster uh, clamshells. So Beautiful. Anyway. Things that mean nothing to you, but I love. <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> I have an appreciation for physical media and all the quirks that, that come with it. But anyway, if any of that sounded interesting, go check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Contrarian Prime. That's where you find the Contrarian supplements. Check out our tiers. See if you feel like uh, contributing on any of the levels and just you'll get all sorts of rewards depending on uh, what tier you contribute to. $1, $3, $5, $10. The more you pay, the more you play. <laughs> I mean, it just depends. Is there a movie out there that you want to hear us discuss? You know there is. So sign up. Even just start at $1. Go there. Check out what it has to offer. The cutting room floor stuff, our bonus episodes. You'll love it. You'll eventually be like, God damn it, I need them to do this movie. Maybe you want us to do, I don't know, Oliver and Company or fucking Saving Private Ryan or some shit. You'll figure something <laughs> out and you'll want to throw it our way. It's not a challenge, but you know, if there's ever anything you want us to talk about and give the contrarians treatment to you know how to do it to all of our current patrons new and old alike god damn it we love you and we continue to accept applications with that all out of the way julio let's get to the bloodletting speaking of patrons yeah uh paul from filmbusters i just want to call him paul filmbusters like it's his first and last name uh <laughs> brought this across our desk uh, like I said, a movie just due to my infatuation with horror films that I'm definitely familiar with uh, due to its legacy, popularity, standing. And because of that, I tried to watch it one other point in time in my life and was unsuccessful in doing so. Julio, base level, just immediate reaction to this. You know, one sentence review. I just want to I want to start off by just getting your base level thoughts on this. One sentence. I, I thought you were going to say one word. Now we're going to go like gross. <laughs> Next. Why? <laughs> <laughs> I know why. I know why. Uh, yeah. I've, I I feel like I've got a you know decent enough handle on Paul's taste in movies. So this was like unsurprising. <laughs> okay. One sentence review. I understand, comma, but not for me, period. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Do you have a, a one sentence review? I think it would probably be that. Maybe with an exclamation point instead of a period. <laughs> Not for me. <laughs> Did it have to be so long? Then again, I watched the uncut version, which is an hour and 44 minutes or 45 minutes or whatever. Is um, it just more it, of the of the party? Yeah. Like I said, you can tell the scenes that are spliced in for the uncut version, and it's just more gore. There's one scene where the... During the party where the, the nurse with like her throat slit and the priest, you know, that are like fucking and have the kid. Mm -hmm. There's another scene where they let, they can't be separated because they just want to be together and they fall and they get impaled together and start having sex. And like this thing they got impaled on is moving up and down their wounds to, you know, simulate a dick going in a vagina. I, I yeah, my one sentence review would be like, if you love this, that's cool. <laughs> Semicolon, maybe another day. <laughs> comma I can't period 
right. Well, we're real talk now. And I think a good segue to that one sentence review would be you telling me about your original experience with uh, Dead Alive. I can't even remember if I rented it or what I did. I think I was in college. I tried to watch it. And I got to the custard scene. And it was just so fucking gross. It was like the middle of the day. And I was trying to watch it. And like that just... I've got a strong stomach. Uh, but for whatever reason, I, I guess because I didn't really know that was coming. Like I had only really known about the, the lawnmower scene. That was like the only thing I'd ever seen a clip of before the first time I watched it. And I didn't know the extent to like the gruesomeness and the just visual vulgarity in this mm-hmm. movie. And so like I thought the movie built to this crescendo of the lawnmower. I didn't realize it was like a... <laughs> machine of perpetual motion that was just gross 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 gross. and uh and then i don't know it's it's a movie that really i don't even know if i tried it again if i would have got through it if it wasn't for this there's some movies that we talk about you know we're motivated to finish it because we're doing this and i don't know if i would otherwise but yeah my initial experience i think i was in college i might have been just freshly graduated and you know i've talked about this numerous times throughout the course of this podcast if someone says, hey, this horror movie is important or it is good or it has this legacy for whatever reason, eventually I'm going to try to hype myself into watching it. Sometimes it goes really well. Uh, sometimes it doesn't. And then sometimes it just kind of falls on its side. But with this, I remember that was the whole legacy. It was like, oh, it's really funny and it's got some good spe- special effects or visual effects to it and whatnot. And I tried to watch it. I was like, no, this is just fucking gross, which I still maintain at the same time. I, you know, 10 years later, since the previous time I tried to view it, 10 or 15 years, whatever it was, I have a much, much greater appreciation for practical effects. And that's where a lot of my compliments for this movie will go is its effort to be completely practical i I still i just i still am not sure if i and with that large section of the horror community that gets its place in history but we can kind of get into that a little bit further here in a minute julio you and i gave our elevator reviews our elevator pitches for our thoughts on this what's um what are the negative side the green splotches on rotten tomatoes what are they saying because i don't think we're green splotches i think we're just like uh, tomatoes that are like Teal. one or two pay- days past their ripeness. Yes. <laughs> All right. So these are actual green splotches. Uh, Brian McKay from eFilmCritic.com says, I wish I could say that I loved it, but at the risk of offending every fanboy out there, I'm afraid I have a red caro syrup covered bone to pick with it. Peter Jackson fanboys, I can't say that I've actually run into any of them. I mean, I've run into... Lord of the Rings fanboys. I don't know that Lord of the Rings, like people, those people that are just like hardcore will defend Lord of the Rings no matter what. I don't know what the, the intersection is with people that would hardcore defend Dead Alive no matter what, you know, because those would be the, the Peter Jackson <laughs> fanboys. But maybe it's just because I have this image in my mind that Peter Jackson's a pretty laid back dude. I also think that his, his fanboys, his fan base is pretty chill. So I want to say that they would be pretty understanding of anyone who doesn't like this movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I would have a really hard time having a conversation with a person that, when Dead Alive comes up, does the whole, how can you not like that? How, how, <laughs> it's it's amazing. It's got something for everybody. You know, that type of person. Because God Fun knows I have plenty family. of movies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
I got plenty of movies that say I like it, but I I understood I would understand how someone would not. With this, that that defines that. Like I would, I know there would be someone out there, but I just I relish the opportunity to one day come across someone that does that with this. It's like <laughs> that treats it like the Godfather or something. I'm like how can you not like it? Uh, Stephen Holden from the New York Times says because all of this looks blatantly unreal and because the timing of the shock effects is so haphazard Dead Alive isn't especially scary or repulsive nor is it very funny now this dude didn't get anything out of it so he wasn't scared he wasn't disgusted and he wasn't uh, amused he didn't think it was funny must have been a pretty miserable 96 minutes for Stephen Holden yeah I mean I laughed I'm not going to act like there wasn't funny parts in it but also, you reacted. I mean, you were still disgusted, right? This time around. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there were definitely reactions. Yeah. Imagine calling this movie boring. <laughs> Inconsequential. Yeah. That was Stephen Holden's one word review. Uh, and finally, Quentin Curtis from The Independent on Sunday says, It never decides whether to make you tremble with laughter or fear and has outstayed its welcome long before the last limb has been severed and entrail spilled. Which I agree with that. At 96 minutes, I still felt it was long. But that's because I was not, you know. I was done with the party. <laughs> I, was, I was that guy that's like, hasn't been drinking and is just ready to go home. But... You know, you're someone's ride, so you can't leave yet. So I have to stay till the end credits. You know, we talk about these with some of the movies we do of like, if your movie's a one-trick pony, 90 minutes is going to feel long. And that's mm-hmm. definitely the case here. You know, even with the tried and true infallible Mattis rule, even some 90-minute movies will feel long, <laughs> and that's kind of like what this is. But it's, you know, to Paul, who I, I believe... If I kind of understand the inflection as a fan of this, and people I know that are fans of it, this is a quintessential example of if you're into what this movie's doing, then it's going to fly by and you're going to have a blast doing it uh, or watching it, I should say. My buddy John, he's, I think he was half kidding, but he said <laughs> when I posted about this movie earlier today, he said Peter Jackson's best work. I know he's a huge fan of this. I don't know, man. Just insert Adam Sandler gif. I disagree. I disagree. <laughs> it has a sense of fun and, dare I say, innocence that comes along with it. But the problem is is that it's just, it's just constant high spot, high spot, high spot. It's a constant bout of can you top this that i don't know it that doesn't work for me that i need i need some room to breathe i need some pacing you know and i i constantly you know self-deprecating about the bad movies i like jason takes manhattan a bunch <laughs> of stupid shit happens but in between that there's these moments of downtime that i kind of get to regain my bearings so that this movie tries to say to me hey these are real people that have these interpersonal relationships and now they're doing this. Oh, Jason's here. Death. Blood. <laughs> I'm much more okay with that than just constant chaos and violence. And I, I, I feel like everything I want to say about this, I, it makes me feel old and like against kind of how I used to be. <laughs> but it really is like when I watch movies, this whole thing of, okay, everything that happens in this movie makes what happens 30 seconds previous to it not matter or not stand out anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I understand that's what its goal is, 
<laughs> but the problem is I can't get over that to the point where I can enjoy it. So it's this weird, like this entire movie, I was like fucking on this elliptical trying to get my mind right about it. Like I, I understand what I'm watching, but it's not doing for me what it does for other people. And then that of course becomes frustrating. And I start thinking about like, what's wrong with me? Why, why <laughs> am I interpreting it differently than everybody? Uh, or at least, you know, a, a large majority of uh, the fans of it. So, Meanwhile, Peter Jackson is sitting on his golden throne, rubbing his hands. I always think of like his office, or you know, his uh, where he watches his movies. He probably has like a fucking you know floor to ceiling TV, or he probably actually has a screen that comes down. And he has a projector, but like I always think of like his Lord of the Rings shit, his Oscars, and then behind like the entertainment center is like the theatrical poster for Dead Alive. That's like. <laughs> You know, propped against the wall on its side and has like, you know, three inches of dust on it that hasn't been touched. <laughs> That's what I think of, but I know he would probably have this on display right up there with Return of the King or something. I'm, I'm sure he's endlessly proud of it because it, there's one thing you, you can not say that this movie wasn't made with passion. Mm-hmm. Whoever made this movie, being Peter Jackson, knew exactly what he wanted to do and did it. And so in that part, it's cool. It's like everything surrounding this I appreciate, but the actual movie itself I watched, I'm just like, meh. It's um, Chuck E. Cheese. Like, oh, this is fucking awesome. And then you eat the pizza and you're like, uh, <laughs> this, this is okay. I mean, everything, the surroundings of this, I feel like I should be enjoying this pizza a lot more, but it's just kind of tasting like wet cardboard. Uh, so, see, a big thing, Julio, is you... You are a fan of some horror movies, but as we, uh, in the seven years we've been doing this, that's something we always come back to, is you are not as uh, entrenched in that genre or community as I am. So, to me, and I would guess the listeners, uh, or long-time listeners, your take on this is going to be more interesting than mine, because I kind of just put out there how I feel about it, and a lot of horror fans have already turned off or kind of understand where I'm coming from. So, you, you already said get it not for me when you're watching this like what what goes through your head how how do you process what's going on here are you trying to make sense of the story or are you more just in the back of your mind kind of interested with what peter jackson was trying to do here i think that that is what you just said actually that you enjoy it like the Chuck E. cheese analogy <laughs> you know you're onto something the i mean i i said in the contrarian's corner you can't say that peter jackson doesn't go out of his way to make sure you know what kind of movie he's making early on and constantly. If I am, now that we're not all in Contreras Corner, you know, if I'm trying to apply real world logic to this story, that's on me. That's not on the movie because the movie has done its job as far as letting me know what kind of movie it is. And this is a movie where for some reason, this guy is just going to, you know, keep the zombies together and, and, just babysit them and there's a movie where a priest is going to show up as a kung fu master and uh, there's a movie that's clearly interested in just the gore and just the the visual aspect of it and so on so very early on i'm like all right so this is not for me and especially once the priest jumped and started kung fu fighting i'm like this is not tone wise if it's the kind of movie i just i check out i'm like i'm glad other people enjoy it but i can't have a good time with this kind of stuff but there's two things that obviously this movie has going for it one of the the biggest one is that it's made by peter jackson which means that historically it has value in my mind because i'm like okay it's 
it's the guy it's it's how crazy is it that you can watch this movie and go like by the way this guy goes on to direct <laughs> the most oscar winning movie in exactly. history Yes, he becomes a force to be reckoned with in Hollywood. You wouldn't know it, and that's not this, this movie. You're you're right. It just you can see the enthusiasm, the passion, whatever. But that doesn't mean that he's. You wouldn't automatically assume that that's going to translate into a very successful career in Hollywood to the level that he is. Like you would think that he he would go on to be to have more of a Sam Raimi career, and Raimi has done a lot of like Hollywood stuff. But he made the best but, Spider-Man movie. Yes, but but Peter Jackson is like on another level when you're thinking of just big budget, mega blockbuster productions. But but it's happened. Like that's it. Like life is stranger than fiction. Like this, <laughs> he starts. With it this really movie. is. Like I'm trying to. You know, some directors that really prolific directors started doing weird shit or have made like you know some crazy stuff before they became big. But like on this scale, to make this movie. That's known for just being the, like the goriest shit ever, and then like you said, just going on like those Lord of the Rings movies. For fuck's sake, I, I, it, it's hard to draw a parallel to the situation we're trying to explain here. That definitely makes it a lot more fun to watch, just because I can stop worrying about being engaged by the movie itself, and I can just appreciate the outside of it. You know, the, the Chuck E. Cheese of it. <laughs> Like, oh, that's so cool that, you know, it was early in his career and he made this movie and I can appreciate how oh, he went about Black-a-mole. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and that compounded with just a more personal thing, which is that, oh, this is a movie that was requested by somebody that listens to the show and that has a high opinion of it. And I know that there are people that listen to the show that are have a high opinion of it so i want to just kind of analyze it from the outside since i can't from the inside i can analyze it from the outside and see just appreciate it as a, as a work of art that works for some people even if it doesn't work for me like this is not a movie that i was just having a a bad time watching it this was not hancock it wasn't like irritating me or making me mad nothing is hancock <laughs> yes uh, i was just kind of sitting back like detached Hancock is not it. Chuck E. Cheese Hancock is like you think you're going into a street like a, a alley downtown somewhere in the seedy part of town to get a slice of pizza <laughs> and then you get fucking mugged and just kicked in the <laughs> stomach over and over again <laughs> and the, the the guy that mugged you like before he walks away he spits on you <laughs> <laughs> and then he walks away and then he comes back around and then spits on you again <laughs> but yeah so i was i found myself just appreciating the the filmmaking uh from outside like i was saying if, if that makes any sense i was not invested in the story but i was thinking man how cool is it that he just really approached it this way and he was just trying to be as creative as possible with this element of filmmaking this aspect of filmmaking that clearly was something that, that he was passionate about i mean gore is not my thing i know i've heard paul talk about it and you know he really he really seems to enjoy this kind of stuff especially i think when it's not being taken too seriously if i remember Did correctly say halloween kills was too violent well, that's what I mean. Like, but but Halloween kills. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Takes you, it seriously. Point, yeah, when it's too seriously. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But when you're having fun like this, then then you know that's that's more his cup of tea. Uh, I don't think that that's the case with me. I only find it amusing for for so long before I'm just like kind of like what we're saying on Corner. You know, it just I get numb to it. In at the end, it was just the last thirty minutes of this movie. It was just people covered in red, <laughs> fake blood. A lot of it, all over. Yes. 
it is to me to be enjoyed as a very interesting piece of history an interesting <laughs> like stone stepping stone on the way to history for a particular filmmaker i think i can speak for both of us that the intrigue would not be anywhere near as high or the interest level would not be anywhere near as high as if this was recommended and it was by some director that never went on to do anything else i think part of yeah. We would still be complimentary of like the vision and the attempts, and I would obviously be complimentary of the practical effects. But part of what got me through this movie was, oh, hey, it was Peter Jackson made this, so that's interesting. Because at the same time, compliments aside to practical effects, the clear vision of what wanted to be made and making that man, the story is so flimsy, and you know. <laughs> I imagine some people would say, well, that's just the point. But, like, the whole idea of this dumbass just taking care of these zombies with no... It, it, am I wrong? Is it ever explained what his end goal is or his end game, as, you know, you would say? <laughs> no, I, I think that it's it's one of those instances where we would be doing the, the work for the movie uh, uh-huh. if we were to just kind of... To say, oh, he just can't bring himself to kill them. Like we kind of got onto that in Contreras' corner, but even as I was saying it, it was it was kind of annoying me a little because I'm like, no, the movie doesn't do that, but it could have, and it would have been awesome, even if you don't realize it right away. If at some point you realize that this guy really can't bring himself to kill anybody, and that is that's his thing, and that's what he needs to to get over, right? That uh, to realize that these things are not human and the movie forces him to choose between his, his survival and the survival of these undead creatures. But that's not what happens. And the the, the thing with his mom even, uh, yeah, you would think that it's a given that anybody, any character would have a hard time killing his mother, even after she's been turned into a zombie. But like I said in Transcorner, the relationship is so uh, negative from the beginning of the movie that even after, you know, when she turns into a zombie, it doesn't really make much of a difference. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think that, I mean, I said it, the The movie announces pretty early on that you shouldn't expect, you shouldn't get hung up on this sort of stuff, like the logistics of why anybody in this movie does what they do. But still, I, I think and maybe even Peter Jackson would agree that if he were to remake Dead Alive today, he would probably have a, a stronger story behind it. And, maybe craft a character to be fair it, it was clear the story wasn't really his focus <laughs> yes <laughs> maybe he would give uh what's his name the guy his co-writer he would give him another shot and be like okay let's do your draft this time let's flush out that backstory about the the father and the fuck what's the mistress yeah yeah the, that that thing the the archetype of the overbearing mother and the the meek put upon the son and that really toxic relationship. I mean, instantly I think of Psycho, but I'm sure there's just like, you know, it's all over storytelling <laughs> down decades of fiction. To explore it in the context of a zombie movie, that has potential to be really good. Uh, that's not what happens here. And anybody that brings up Dead Alive and tells me that that's what's happening in this movie, I, I would call bullshit. Like, let's not project. <laughs> There's this movie has either zero interest in exploring the the complexity of that relationship between mother and son, or if it had interest in doing it, it did it so poorly that it doesn't come across at all. I'm gonna give Peter Jackson the credit and say 
he probably didn't care. You know, this is just an excuse for the gore. But you could make that movie where a mother and a son have this type of relationship and then the mother is turned into a zombie and then the son realizes that as much as he hated the relationship he has, he had with his mother, he still can't bring himself to kill her. And he finds himself trapped in this sort of nightmare where he can't he can't put an end to her existence, but he also can't reveal it to the world because then then somebody else would kill her and so on. That doesn't happen in this movie, <laughs> but it could. I, I would enjoy that version a lot more. Julio, were you a fan of the baby? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you uh, mentioned it on the little Facebook preview that we did that that sequence is... Uh, did you say it was Peter Jackson's favorite sequence in the movie or favorite thing that he's ever done? I think favorite sequence in the movie. Okay, that's better. <laughs> yeah. It's not... I don't find it funny. It's. It uh, looks like something... Like, the, the sequence in the park looks like something that was probably a lot of fun if you were on set that day. But yep. to me as a viewer, I'm just kind of like... I That was the one scene in the movie I was, like, begging to be over. The rest of it, you know, I, I jest about the gore and how, like, ooh, this is gross, let's get through this. But that was, like... Everything else in the movie... I could sense was like driving at something greater, but I knew he wasn't going to kill the baby in front of those people. So I was just like, just, just fucking get this over with. And it just kept going. But like I said, I'm sure if you were on set, it was a lot of fun. I think that that's one of the problems where even the, the it's stretching the logic or trying not to care about the logic. It just doesn't, it's just asking too much of me as a member of the audience, because there's no reason for him to take the baby out in public and pretend to, to be a father. What is there's he's not gaining anything. But I'll tell you this. Uh what I found myself thinking during that sequence, which goes on for so long, was that you I could have seen this as as a set piece in a silent movie. Uh yeah. you see like Chaplin or Buster Keaton doing it. But the thing is, they wouldn't be aware that the baby is a zombie. That that would be the gag. That they're out there with this zombie baby, they don't know it's a zombie, and so that's why everything that happens happens. And they're trying to like act normal, and they're trying to like save a baby that's never in danger. So that would be cool. It's never gonna happen, but yeah, man. I I mean, and then the gore. You know, you said you're not big into it, and this movie relies heavily on it. it by the end, I was just kind of numb to it, and it didn't really seem to matter anymore. I laughed at a couple things. Uh, I mean, you kind of called them out in Contreras Corner. The the most memorable bits in that party, but overall it was just it just felt repetitive. I, I'm sure there's plenty of people like fans of this movie have to love that sequence those last thirty minutes, and they probably can just call oh, yeah. out everything that happens bit by bit and just recognize the different characters and whatever. I just to me it was just a bunch of props clashing against each other, and I, I can acknowledge the creativity, but just go ah no, that's not for me. The thing with the with the uncle, I I wasn't kidding. Contreras Corner. I wish that there had been more of a. I'll give him this. He's he stands out as a character, <laughs> somebody that I can actively root against. Uh, but mm. then, like I said, Contreras Corner, I didn't feel that the movie was with me rooting against him. At least not as much. <laughs> I think the movie thought it, it felt like the movie Jackson might have found him more amusing and more sympathetic, maybe even that than I did. So I I could have done with just. Uh, I don't know, a worse ending for him or just something that to kind of make it stand out from all the other deaths that are happening in those last 30 minutes. But I, overall, no. I, I really like the the thing, the gag where he's running uh, in in place. That yeah. was one of, the, yeah. one of the moments I found funny. Overall, I didn't 
laugh that a lot. That was one of the clips I always saw in like horror montages or, you know, documentaries about horror overall or like countdowns of moments in horror movies. That was always one that people talked about. And it is. It's funny. It, mm-hmm. it, it's one of those that it does go on a while. And I'm not talking like minutes, but it's maybe 30 seconds. And it goes from like funny to they're doing this too long to them continuing to do it. So it comes back around <laughs> to being funny again, which is always the best way to do those bits is to commit to it so that it's, yeah. you know, if you're going to do it for a while, make sure it sticks all the way through. So, uh, any acting stick out to you, or is it all just kind of part of the the presentation? They kind of like all on the same level. I I felt like nobody stood out. I think I I like the uh, actress that's uh, you know Paquita. I I liked her just yeah. because I don't think she. I mean, it's not like anybody here has a whole lot of depth or anything. In and it's not like she gets to be particularly funny or or anything, but. I think maybe it's just the <laughs> a sort of mini Elizabeth Town effect because I don't really care for Lionel, and so when she's next to Lionel, she seems like a sensible person and somebody that I can at least root for, and and that instantly makes me just appreciate her presence. And the actress is good, and her I, I think it is Idios Mio that she says right. But that was yeah, yeah, yeah. That made me laugh. Because it was just so over the top. But considering that that type of character could have just gotten on my nerves really easily, I think that she deserves props for pulling it off. I mean, she's just, she's fine. I, Diana Pena, Pena Lever, Pena Lever. Um, that's her name? I'm awful at pronouncing four names, yeah. Um, Spanish actress known for starring in Brain Dead, Year of Enlightenment, and Elut, Run for Your Life. She also starred in the Spanish television series Las Chicas de Hoy en Dia. So, there you go. <laughs> well, good. Looks like she did not know what she's getting into in Brain Dead based on the rest of her career. <laughs> well, hopefully she she got a nice trip to New Zealand out of it. There you go. Uh, got to spend 11 weeks there. <laughs> do you, I think you mentioned it on the Facebook preview, Evil Dead. Like how do you feel about the first Evil Dead? I guess, versus the second Evil Dead. Because I guess my experience was that has been that watching the first Evil Dead, I was not really into it that much. Kind of similar to this, where I'm like, okay, I get it. I get why people like it. Because it's also a similar situation where it's mostly about Sam Raimi just showing you what he can do on a low budget. (laughs) I don't think it's as gory, at least from what I remember. But it is still very much like, it feels like low budget. Like The second one was Army of Darkness, right? No, the second one is just Evil Dead 2, and that's basically the first movie again, but this time they have a story. That's that's what I remember. And and then Army of Darkness is like he goes back in time and all that stuff. But but that's the thing, like I remember watching them and liking the second one so much better because it had a story. And uh, the filmmaking was kind of similar, but it it makes me it made me think that if there was a, a Dead Alive 2 that would hit almost the exact same beats, but it actually had like a real story behind it. I'd probably enjoy it more, regardless of the level of gore. You could you could keep it the same, you could increase it, you could lower it, and it just in the end that that's not what makes a difference. You know, what would move the barometer would be just the story and how much how engaged I can get in in it. And uh it's not like Evil Dead has like a complex plot. It's mostly uh Ash alone in the house, but but what happens 
has a logic kind of like chained together in a way that it's not here in this movie so but i don't know i mean i, I was asking you because i don't know if you like evil dead if you're one of those people that likes evil dead because in that case you i, I don't know if you can like argue what's so different between that and something like dead alive uh no evil dead's fine i'm not too wild about it i i'm kind of ambivalent towards it to be honest i like bruce campbell but yeah i remember thinking that the first time i saw evil dead if your movie's going to be about nothing there needs to be a, a big sense of ambiguity to it because i know an immediate argument for people that have listened like for example if let's say paul is a huge fan of evil dead and uh dead alive and you know he's listened to this for a while and he says you know well, you love halloween you love texas chainsaw massacre you know there's not really too much plot to speak of in those movies yes but there's a gigantic sense of ambiguity in those both of them obviously both of them their mythos and canon has been way expanded but those movies as they stand on their own there's it's not just like all right, here's this thing, and it's causing it. And now there's going to be all this chaos that happens because of it. <laughs> uh, it's there's these movies that are like, man, this really shitty stuff's happening to these people, and we don't really know why. And what we don't know is always much scarier than what we do know. And so that's always kind of been my thing with zombie movies and why I'm not really into them. Uh, there are some I like. You know, I like Shaun of the Dead. I like um, Zack Snyder did the one with Ty Burrell in it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And, but that's kind of why I never got into, like, um, what was that show, everyone? Walking Dead? Because with zombies and stuff and, and you know, the the curse of the dead and that kind of shit, it just kind of, like, to me, it's always like, all right, okay, I, I, I get it. And, and it feels, to me, it always feels like I know too much. And with Evil Dead, that's the, and, and Dead Alive, that's the, the how I feel about it. It's like, all right, I know why this is happening. <laughs> and I know what can be done to stop it. And these people are taking forever to fucking stop it. And if you're going to do something like that, there needs to be a gimmick to it. There, it needs to be the Lost Boys. You need to have like more to it. You need to have more flash, more substance, more uh, good acting. You know, it. If you're going to try to do a movie like this, where you, in the first act you show the whole deck of cards and say, "Here it is," you gotta you gotta give me more than that. And I know, especially when it comes to Evil Dead, any type of talk that can be interpreted as negative or critical towards it is terms for being quartered and drawn. So I apologize <laughs> for anyone that I offended out there. But it's just, you're going to scare me a lot more with what you don't show me than what you do. And I think that kind of comes down to the whole idea of what Julio and I have said so far, Julio, excuse me, and I have said so far about Dead Alive is that our enjoyment of it and our interest in it came from a perspective of uh, a young filmmaker who eventually made history starting early, but clearly with a vision of what he wanted to make and executing that, that being what we appreciate way more than what this was as a horror movie or what it contributed to the genre. I don't mean to speak for you, Julio, but I kind of summarize what we both feel. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, but you just got me thinking <laughs> that this movie it would have gone up a few notches uh, in my appreciation if we didn't have the backstory of the rat monkey. Uh, and mind you, I'm I'm somebody who actually appreciates <laughs> getting the backstory to uh, Michael Myers. <laughs> but but here, yeah. can you imagine if uh, the movie starts and you set up the, the relationship between Laurel and his mom, and then 
suddenly one day she just starts rotten and she she starts getting these sores and she starts falling apart and we don't know why and he doesn't know why that makes it more disturbing <laughs> and more unsettling as opposed to knowing that oh it's because that weird creature came from wherever and bitter and all that stuff i have always disliked the opening of the exorcist for the exact reason that you say that dude who goes to iraq and uh encounters that demon or the statue of the demon or whatever it's just funny you say that because every time i watch that movie i think about how it's gorgeously shot and it's a very in a lot of ways iconic opening to the movie but i've always thought that exact same thing about how it'd be a lot more interesting if this shit just started happening and we didn't have any of that previous knowledge but such is life this is where we are the exorcist is better than dead alive don't get me wrong but uh (laughs) (laughs) so as with all our patrons when you bring something across the desk thank you and a specific thank you to paul for this i have officially been able to close the book on this movie for myself it's one of those that i always knew i'd come back around to and now that i have it is come and gone and i'm appreciative that we could do it in a sense where i could discuss it with one of my best friends and for our listening public uh, but for all the things we said and my perceived shortcomings of the film, I fall dead center with it. I give it a C. Um, you know, I don't actively dislike it. There, I we said all the positives there can be about the actual filmmaking perspective of it. I get that the story is not supposed to be what the movie's about, but for me and for what I look for, that's you know, it's not there. So strong in certain aspects, weak in others. That's why it falls dead center. Let's see Julio on the Julio star rating scale. Where's this going to (laughs) land? I feel a little bad, but it's going to land on two stars. That's uh, because in the end it's, it's just, it's not for me. It's the two stars are just what I appreciate. Like I said, numerous times during real talk from outside. I I can't get into this movie. It's just uh, the the combination of uh, a story that doesn't make sense uh, with uh, just a focus on things, aspects of filmmaking that are really not my my thing. And as it is, uh, yeah, I'm two stars. It doesn't make me mad, but clearly, it's it's just not a movie for me. And and that's fine because Peter Jackson went on to have a great career without my support, <laughs> and then and then some. <laughs> He ended up all right. Yeah. Landed on his feet. All right. Paul, hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for your pledge. I appreciate it. And again, thank you for bringing Dead Alive across our desk here. Uh, Julio, that's going to wrap it up for Peter Jackson's debut. What is on deck uh, for the Contrarians? Well, Alex, December is where we officially start our mini Muppets arc. Uh, Untitled. It might remain untitled. I don't know. We'll see if we come up with something. If you guys have suggestions for what to call this little uh, Muppet journey we're going to go on, feel free to uh, let us know on social media. But uh, yeah, we're going to do a bunch of Muppets movies. And honestly, I don't even remember how this came about. I just know a while ago, I thought that it would be cool because we both like the Muppets. And then it just, and now it's happening. <laughs> but <laughs> here's the, here's the, the roster as it stands right now we're going to be doing uh the muppet movie which is the original the first one uh then we're gonna do that one's fresh then we're doing the muppets wizard of oz which is rotten 
then we're doing the Muppet Steak Manhattan, which is fresh. Then this is not exactly a Muppets movie, but it's it has a very close connection. We're gonna do the Happy Time Murders, which is rotten. It's uh, directed by Jim Henson's son, so you know there's that that direct connection to the Muppets. And it's also it, the movie stars puppets that look like Muppets. And then we'll close with Muppets Most Wanted, the most recent Muppet movie. Those of you who are wondering why we're not doing the the Jason Segel Muppets, it's because as much as Alex and I love it, we already kind of talked about it when the first time that we guested on uh, Sam Hurley's podcast on Movie Reviews and 20 Qs, the three of us talked about uh, that Muppet reboot from 2011. And uh, yeah, I mean, we could, obviously we could keep talking about it, but... Instead, why not talk about the sequel, which seems to be uh, slightly less popular, even though it's also fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. So we're going to close with that. Like I said, open to suggestions about what to call this. Shamal Anthology was such a good uh, name. <laughs> kind of feel like... It was. Yeah. If we come we up with something We peaked on the phone this, with that one, man. Yeah, yeah. It might be that maybe we shouldn't even try. But anyway, yeah. lots of Muppets goodness uh, coming our way. And of course, we're going to keep... Every month we still have like patron picks, so it's not gonna be all Muppets all the time because whatever the patrons throw at us, it's it's still gonna make it into the feed. All right, so that's what we have on deck. We appreciate all tuning in to this episode, listening to us talk about Dead Alive, Peter Jackson, Gore, everything in between. Uh, before we get out of here, we're gonna move along to our perennial plugs. We like to start off by giving a thanks to the Festive Years, who provide us our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of '99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all Festive Years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster and also the man responsible for us doing a Doctor Who episode uh, last time, uh, Hans Rudgeser. He's a, he's an artist, he's a podcaster, he's an author. Uh, check out our logo, uh, the graphics on our webpage, on our Patreon page. That's, that's all Hans's work. He's also done some designs for our merch. Uh, if you're interested in contacting Hans, you can reach him on Twitter at Mildemonios. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. Uh, you can also contact him on email at Mildemonios at Hotmail.com. Or you can check out his website, Mildemonios.pe. That's where you can see links to all his other work, including his, his numerous zombie novels, speaking of zombies in Dead Alive. And also check out his podcast, Nación Combi and Marginal. One's about Peruvian current affairs. The other one is about economy. Thank you, Hans, for all your support. And we thank Ms. Zoe Perez for helping curate our social media game. If you haven't already, be sure to go over to facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Or if you have Instagram, we're on there as well, at Contrarian Prime. Uh, what Zoe does for us is Facebook. We have some exclusive videos. And on Instagram, she creates some audio clips, video clips, interactive graphics. Uh, stuff that Julio and I uh, would not be sharp enough to figure out how to do. So we do appreciate Zoe and all the work she does for us. And we also appreciate you, our listening audience. Uh, but for now, that is going to do it for us here on The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. I just want you to know I'm really glad you're